0: And we welcome you to the Friday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. We have a real treat for you today if you are a baseball fan. But I hasten to add that even if you're not a baseball fan, I think you're going to find all kinds of uh, of things compelling about this interview that we're about to do, about to share with you, with the author of a book called Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. This is the story of a brilliantly talented Major League Baseball player originally from Japan who is, in a sense, upended the world of Major League Baseball by doing something that no baseball player has done uh, to the same extent since the legendary Babe Ruth. That is, Shohei Otani has been both a spectacular pitcher and hitter uh, at the Major League level. Uh, in a way that is truly extraordinary. And beyond his great brilliance is the story of his tremendous gifts, his background, and also his courage and resiliency in the face of some debilitating injuries that occurred in quick succession uh, just as he was taking off in the major leagues. It's also a really interesting story about how to handle a genius. <laughs> and uh, the, the 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 ball team for which he has... Uh, Played. the Los Angeles Angels have made a lot of good choices a lot of wise choices and probably a few mistakes along the way as well but mostly this is a very inspiring and gratifying success story and it's told very well in this wonderfully written book by Jeff Fletcher an award-winning sports reporter uh, who has written extensively about Major League uh, Baseball uh, for the last oh, 25 years or so and uh, He's covered other sports as well and is also very much uh, uh, involved in the world of of big-time poker playing. And uh, he is uh, an award-winning journalist uh, who uh, has really done a terrific job with this book published by Diversion Books, again titled Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. Jeff Fletcher, we welcome you to The Morning Show.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: I'm really glad we can have this conversation ahead of us. Talking about Shohei Ohtani, uh, I would love to know just a little bit about your own background that took you into the world of sports writing. Did you begin this odyssey as an athlete yourself, and was it baseball that was your primary focus even uh, uh, early in your life?
1: Well, like most uh, kids growing up in America, I loved playing baseball when I was young, but I was not very good at it. So my career ended uh, when I was about 13, and <laughs> that was it, and then uh, shortly after that, I realized that there was still a way to, to have baseball in my life, and that they had to actually pay people to go to baseball games and write about them, mm. so that was pretty much my career goal from about the time I was 13 or 14, and I uh, went to Ohio University, which is a really good journalism school, and I was very focused on becoming a baseball writer, and uh, I started at that uh, that job in 1997, and I've been doing it for various publications ever since.
0: I have had the pleasure of speaking with uh, several baseball uh, reporters o- over the years of doing this morning show, and uh, I always come away with a sense that they just love what they do with uh, you know, kind of a rabid ferociousness. What is it about the game of baseball, besides just loving the game of baseball itself, which I'm sure you do, but beyond it, are there things about the game of baseball that make it maybe particularly ripe? Uh, for 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 reporters like you to cover the game and write about it,
1: I think what I like about it is, uh, first of all, it's in the summer, so it's just it's in the summer and it's outdoors, so it's just more of a uh, you know relaxed kind of happy sport, quote unquote, than you know the other sports which are you know in the winter or indoors. And they just don't have the same atmosphere, and uh, I also like the way they play every single day. 162 games is just a real epic journey that you kind of go through during a season, and it's, it's like a really long book that you just <laughs> un, you turn each page and you learn a little more about the, the story as it goes.
0: Hmm. So at what point did it become clear to you that uh, the story of Shohei Otani uh, was a story that needed to be explored to this extent and that you were the right man to do so? Well,
1: when he first got to the Majors in 2018, he immediately began performing at a high level as a pitcher and a hitter, which nobody had done since Babe Ruth. So I immediately began writing a book just that was about to be uh, on his first season in the Major Leagues. Then in June of that year, he got injured as a pitcher and the story sort of was put on hold because he was suddenly not a two-way player anymore. He was just a hitter. And it didn't really come back until 2021 was the next time that he was really healthy and successful as a pitcher and a hitter. And, and then during that season, he made it through the entire season. He was great the entire season. It was truly, you know, an epic, incredible season. And uh, that's when the story was revived. And I, I wrote it in about uh, two and a half months after the 2021 season. And I just think that it was it was such a historic season. And I felt like somebody needed to write a book about it. And I had been the only real American journalist who had covered the whole thing from his first day he put on an angel's hat in December 2017 all the way through winning the MVP in November 2021. So, uh, you know, if somebody was going to write it, it should be me.
0: (laughs) Well, I agree. You've done a wonderful job. And I do want to add also that uh, I am so glad that this story is not just about that epic season, that extraordinary season that is mentioned in in the subtitle, but the book is really about his remarkable comeback, which in and of itself is incredibly compelling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people uh, paid attention to Otani when he first splashed into the big leagues in 2018. And then as he got hurt and had some struggles, I think a lot of people outside of just Angels fans might have sort of forgotten about him or given up on him or thought it wasn't going to happen. And then when it finally did happen again, you know, they kind of missed what happened in between. How did he get from point A to point B? So I hope that people uh, get that out of the book.
0: We're speaking with Jeff Fletcher, and we're talking about his uh, new book, which is called Showtime the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. By the way, as you said about telling this story, uh, who would be some of the most important people or maybe valuable people that you got to uh, actually directly interact with in order to tell this story as thoroughly and richly as you do?
1: Well, I had been... Uh, covering the Angels, obviously, every single day for the Orange County Register, the newspaper here in Southern California. So my, my daily job was just to talk to pretty much everybody and anybody who works for the Angels, plays for the Angels, all of that time. So I, I pretty much had daily contact with all the people around him. Some of the most important people were uh, Billy Epler, who was the general manager of the Angels when Otani was first signed. Um, Mike Socha was the the first manager that he had uh, for uh, his 2018 season. And then Joe Madden obviously was the manager for the 2021 season, which most of the book is about. And he also wrote the forward. So uh, Madden is sort of the narrator for the season because he's the guy that the media talks to every single day. So he's sort of the one that directed the way things
0: worked for Otani. Hmm. So let's uh, dig into the first chapter of the book, in which you uh, give us some really uh, interesting background into uh, where uh, Shohei Otani comes from, uh, both geographically and also uh, in terms of of his parents. I can't find it right now, but I'm pretty sure you make some mention at some point that that this community from which he comes in in Japan is from a part of the of 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 the country that is not particularly uh thick with great baseball players. Do I remember right that it's maybe the the climate or something that makes it not exactly yeah. baseball country.
1: Yeah, uh Oshu is a city in the Iwate prefecture which you know the comparison was given to me was it's kind of like Minnesota, which I guess it'll also be sort of like <laughs> Wisconsin in the United States in that it's uh, it's cold a lot of the time and it's just
0: not really a great baseball hotbed. And yet somehow uh, that's where Shohei Atani comes from, and one of the reasons, of course, would be his uh, very, very gifted parents. Tell our listeners a little bit about them.
1: Uh, well, his father was uh, uh,
0: played baseball in kind of an amateur
1: league with the uh, – he worked at a mitsubishi factory and uh he was uh, very interested in baseball and you know he said that he didn't really uh spend a lot of time with his his older son you know when he was playing baseball as a, as a youngster and then when shohei you know started playing baseball he really wanted to to get himself more involved so he did spend a lot of time with him and uh shohei was a they call it a yaku shonen which is just uh A kid whose focus is just nothing but baseball, that's all he loves, and that was really what he was uh, when he was a little
0: boy. I had not intended to ask you this, but it just pops in my head as something that maybe you can shed some light on. Can you help us understand why baseball is such a big sport in Japan? What is it about baseball and Japan that makes that such an easy and impressive marriage?
1: You know, I think Japan was really just exposed to baseball in a way that, you know, other countries, you know, like in Europe, just were not. Uh, you know, there was a, a tour, uh, Major League Baseball did a tour in Japan back in the 20s. You know, Babe Ruth played over there, hmm. and people really kind of liked it. And then there were some Negro League teams that did some tours over there in the, in that same period, and it just sort of stuck uh, in a way that, you know, it it didn't catch on, you know, in really other countries. It's, it's Baseball is one of these sports that's played, you know, in North America and Latin America and Japan, and it's not – they don't play it in Africa, they don't play it in Europe, uh, they don't play it in Russia. So it's just kind of an interesting uh, way that it just sort of picked up over there.
0: Absolutely. So you tell us a lot of interesting things about um, Shohei Otani's – Uh, early years with the game Uh, and one of the things that maybe was a blessing in disguise is when you tell us that uh, even though he was so incredibly passionate about the game of baseball you tell us that he did not actually travel uh, to a whole lot of tournaments while he was uh, uh, a young boy uh, believing himself probably mistakenly believing himself not to be good enough to be part of those kind of traveling teams that we hear so much about and of course are all over the place uh, here in the United States and of course one of the things that can happen and probably fairly often happens is that uh, a young talent, a young body will get kind of crunched, <laughs> kind of used up uh, by, by excessive amount of play uh, and uh, Otani in a sense escaped that fate by not pushing himself too hard too soon. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, he really didn't do the whole uh, travel teams, uh, you know, is what they call them here. And, uh, you know, he just pretty much played on his local teams. And then he played in high school and he didn't really overextend himself, which I think a lot of cases, it not only affects the kids physically, but just mentally, they just get burned out. They get tired of of baseball, now, I don't know if that would have been the case with him because he seemed to be pretty obsessed with it, hmm. but uh, it certainly uh, certainly helped physically that he wasn't you know wearing himself out uh, at a young age.
0: You also tell us that his high school uh, baseball coach uh, Hiroshi Sasaki um, ran a program there with strict rules and philosophies that went beyond pitching and hitting. He's probably also fortunate in, in in terms of having that kind of a coach at, at the high school level.
1: Yeah, his school was uh was like a boarding school and one of the things that the coach insisted on was the pitchers on the team. Everybody had a job to do, you know, away from the field and one of the jobs for the pitchers was cleaning the toilets. So that was to keep them grounded, you know, when they when they're on the field, they're sort of the center of attention, literally above everybody else standing on the mound. And he wanted them to realize, you know, when you're away from the field, you're just like all the rest of us. We all have to be treated equally, and you're going to be grounded, so to speak, by having kind of the lowest job. So he was cleaning bathrooms.
0: (laughs) I love that. Uh, And and, and that's an interesting philosophy. And, again, just to make sure our listeners understand, it was very specifically the pitchers with the most glamorous position on the team who were given – very specifically, the least glamorous of all chores, uh, and that was by very careful design, and uh, uh, and probably the results speak for themselves. One other thing about his early years that I think is worth uh, you talking about. You tell us, Otani developed as a left-handed batter and a right-handed thrower, a somewhat uncommon combination that would serve him well many years later. Uh this leapt out at me in part because, I mean, I'm, I'm no baseball player, but for some reason, naturally, I throw with my right and bat left-handed. Uh, so I think that's, I can't remember if that's opposite of Otani, but the fact is I, I go both ways. And, and you're saying that the fact that he also was kind of split in that way, right-handed with the one, left-handed for the other, was of great benefit to him, and I think especially later on. Uh, explain why that makes, I think, such a big difference in in in, in Otani and his success.
1: Yeah, uh, obviously there's a lot of stress put on your body when you're pitching or hitting. And, you know, one of the reasons that people haven't done this before is just because their bodies can't take it. It's just too much work. But with Otani the stresses are basically the opposite direction. And so when he's pitching, his body is all turning, you know, in one direction. And when he's hitting, his body is all turning the other direction. So it sort of balances out and the stresses are, are uh, sort of neutralized. And the the proof of this is that when he had uh, surgery on his arm, when he was injured as a pitcher, he could still hit. Because it was, there were different parts of his body that were being stressed.
0: And uh, that. Happy happenstance then uh, means that uh, he was more likely to be able to last into adulthood and perhaps uh, more able to uh, sustain uh, his great potential and promise. We're speaking with Jeff Fletcher and talking about his book Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. So Otani once, of course, he sprouts up to six foot four as a high school senior, Uh, is really quite spectacular. In fact, would it be fair to say that he was uh, one of the most, if not the most promising high school baseball players that Japan had ever seen? Uh, Or or would that be overstating it?
1: No, he was definitely a star in Japan. Uh, It was at the point where Major League Baseball teams were over there Scouting him as a high school player, and he intended to just skip playing baseball in Japan and go straight to the minor leagues in the United States.
0: Explain, so, sorry, uh, explain what m- remaining in Japan represents. And of course, we should also say that's what he ultimately decided to do. But uh, when 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 someone is 18 years old in Japan and they are a good baseball player, but maybe not ready for the United States major leagues. Uh, What is there in Japan for them to do in terms of baseball?
1: Well, there's a major league in Japan, just like here, and and there's even a minor league, too. There are only eight teams, and it's generally considered to be the second-best league in the world. So it's probably below Major League Baseball, but above AAA baseball, which is what our highest level of minor league baseball is here. So... um, 99.9% of Japanese players, uh, you know, in high school start playing in Japan. And then if they do well enough in the major leagues in Japan, then they come over to play in the major leagues in the United States. Very, very, very few of them actually are good enough as high school players that major league teams here in the United States are interested in them already. That they want to, you know, not even wait to see how they would do over there, but they feel like they're ready to go over here. So uh, it would be very unusual for that to happen. And also, in Japan, they would sort of view that as a little bit of an insult to the country, Hmm. that you would just skip out on playing in front of your native fans.
0: Nevertheless, that is what Otani's intentions were. You tell us he announced at a press conference as an 18-year-old that his intention was to bypass uh, the professional league in Japan, and begin a professional career in the United States. Uh, something actually ended up uh, changing those those plans, and it has something to do with what I guess is the draft, the, the baseball draft in Japan, and a chance that one of those eight teams took uh, in drafting uh, the reluctant Otani. Tell us more about that and how it ultimately played out.
1: Well, the draft works a little differently over there. Uh, actually... It's not just one team that can draft you. Actually, multiple teams can draft you, and then there's uh, some process which I don't fully understand that the uh, one of the teams ends up getting you. But in Japan, pretty much all the teams just did not draft Otani because he said he was going to go to the United States. But one team, the uh, Nippon Ham Fighters, sort of did things in a different way over there. They had a lot of non-traditional methods of doing things, and they were kind of the out of the box team in japan and they said you know we think that this kid is so good and we have an idea that we could keep him here so we're going to draft him and we're going to convince him that if he stays here in japan we're going to let him be a two-way player we're going to let him pitch and hit which nobody did even in japan and really otani hadn't even occurred to him that he could do it because nobody had done it and he was planning to just be a pitcher so uh, they convinced him that if he would stay in japan that they would give him the opportunity to do that, and also that if he started his career in Japan, it would give him a better shot at succeeding eventually in the United States. They knew eventually he was going to go to the major leagues. They just wanted to have him start there. And he agreed with them, and that's what he did.
0: Hmm. Uh, it's somebody who's associated with the team who uh, provides one of the best quotes in your book, I think, uh, when he says about Otani, Otani, if a person has the possibility to do everything, we need to look at that person and his talent and bring his skills along all at the same time. It's like Michelangelo and Einstein. They could do art and science, everything. As a scout, I have to look at the person and his abilities and see if this high school player was capable. Otani is the player who changed my way of thinking. That last part points to something that you discuss in the next bo- in the next chapter, which is that there was a fairly high level of skepticism about uh, about whether or not Otani could ultimately succeed in a really big way as a two-time player. With his talent so clear, uh, what was the root of that skepticism?
1: Well, simply because nobody had done it. Uh, you know, nobody had done it here or there. And it's just really hard to do. At, at, at a very high level, you need to have... Uh, your skills be optimized to their fullest. And if you have one skill that is at, you know, a hundred percent and the other one is at 80%, they're just not even going to bother with the 80% because they're going to find somebody else who's got that skill at a hundred percent. So you really need to kind of go out of the box to, to be willing to, to take somebody who's at 101 and 80 and the other and build them up till they're a hundred of both.
0: Hmm. At this point, it probably makes sense for us to talk about uh, the last Major League Baseball player to succeed in what Otani wanted to do, that is being spectacular both as a pitcher and as a hitter for a a decently sustained amount of time, and that is the legendary Babe Ruth. I really appreciate the time you take uh, in the second chapter of your book to uh, remind us about this aspect of Babe Ruth because I think so many of us, at least here in America, think of him only as a hitter and don't remember that uh, early in his career he was a two-way threat, uh, the likes of which we have really haven't seen since. Tell us more about Babe Ruth's legacy when it comes to this.
1: Babe Ruth started out as a pitcher and uh, eventually in his career his team, the Red Sox, realized that he was a really good hitter, too. And sort of by happenstance, they they forced him to uh, – they didn't force him. The uh, circumstances created this situation where he started playing positions other than pitching on the days he wasn't pitching, and he really hit very well. And then all of a sudden he decided he didn't want to pitch anymore because he liked hitting better. And there became kind of a fight over the two years that he did both that He didn't really want to do both. He wanted to only hit, and the Red Sox wanted him to also pitch because he was still a very good pitcher. So, uh, you know, and eventually the Yankees, of course, as we all know, got him in 1920, and the Yankees did not have him pitch at all. So what that means is there was a, you know, Ruth basically had two careers. He had his first years when he was young as a pitcher with the Red Sox, and the career that we all know that made him famous, he was a hitter with the Yankees. But for those last two years with the Red Sox, he did both. And he was really the only player in baseball history up until Otani to have any kind of substantial success at both
0: roles in one season. So you tell us that Babe Ruth's uh, success at pitching and hitting uh, is very different or his pathway to that was very different from that of Otani's. So in what way did Otani kind of enter this very rare arena in, in a way very different from Babe Ruth?
1: I mean, Otani's goal all along was to be a two-way player, and he never had any reluctance about doing both. He wanted to do both. And, you know, as I said, Babe Ruth didn't really want to do both. He wanted to just hit, and he reluctantly pitched. So that's why they're very different. And, you know, Otani got the chance in Japan to do both pretty much from his first season right out of high school. And it wasn't great the whole time. He did have some, some times where he wasn't a very good hitter at some times where he wasn't a very good pitcher but uh, the team in Japan had kind of made a promise to him so they were willing to stick it out and develop him and then by his fourth year he was outstanding at, at everything and he was the MVP and they won the championship and, and everything was great but but it took a little while to get there.
0: Hmm. We're speaking with Jeff Fletcher and we're talking about his book Showtime the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. uh take us inside the decision that Otani made uh, after five seasons uh, in this Japanese professional baseball league that it was time to move on to the United States. Maybe ahead of that, just say something about uh, what ended up being beneficial uh, about those five years that he had not planned to spend in Japan, but uh, which in fact he did. Uh, I mean, one suspects that because of the tremendous success he ultimately did achieve in the United States, that something positive happened in those five years?
1: Well, obviously, if he would have gone to the United States uh, right out of high school, he would not have been a two-way player. He would have just been a pitcher, and we would not be having this conversation right now. So uh, I think that, you know, certainly what happened in Japan was the key to this whole story happening. Uh, He got to be a two-way player. And he had always wanted to be a star in the major leagues, even from when he was very young. And he had had so much success in Japan that he knew and his team, the fighters, knew that it was time for him to go try and do it in the major leagues. So, you know, there was some thought that he might have done it after his fourth season because that was, you know, his great season. He won the MVP. But uh, he felt like he wanted to have one more just to kind of make sure that everything was where it needed to be. So he did play that fifth season in Japan, and then after that, pretty much he and his team, everybody agreed. All right, now this is the time to
0: go. Hmm. So there were some things that were made this moment, this point of transition for Otani, complicated. In particular, you uh, you say that in terms of ability to play baseball, there was no question that Otani was ready, but. You tell us there were financial implications that clouded the issues, and it has to do with uh, kind of a change in rules uh, about how these transactions or transitions would be handled. Uh, What had just changed that made this kind of a complicated situation?
1: So uh, Major League Baseball has uh, guidelines for when players from outside of the United States join you know major league baseball and it depends on what your age is how you're classified if you're either a professional or an amateur so that's the difference between when you know a guy who had played professionally in Japan for seven or eight years and he's 28 years old comes to the United States versus a kid in the Dominican Republic who is 16 years old the uh, the latter are classified as amateurs and the former are classified as professionals The professionals are basically free agents. Any team can offer them whatever they want. And, you know, when the great players from Japan had come over before, they would get bonuses of $50 million, and their team also in Japan would get paid what's called a posting fee, which is sort of a, a transfer fee allowing the player from Japan to come to the United States before he would normally be eligible for free agency in Japan. So that could total $100 million that the team would pay. Whereas these sixteen year olds from the Dominican the the spending was limited because of the major league rules and you know all those players would end up getting, you know, two or three million dollars. So what happened was just before Otani came over, they changed the age that you classified from a professional to an amateur from twenty three to twenty five. And Otani at that time was twenty three. So that made him a quote unquote amateur even though he'd played basically Major League Baseball in Japan for five years, had been a big star over there, had made a lot of money over there, but the way Major League Baseball classified him was the same as those 16-year-olds from the Dominican. So that meant that a Major League team could get him just for a few million dollars, which all Major League teams could afford for a player of that caliber. So instead of just being able to win his services by writing the biggest check, basically teams all had the same check to write, and they had to recruit him, the way a high school kid would be recruited to college by convincing him basically that their team was the place for him. So they all the twenty seven of the thirty teams made these presentations for him and uh he basically had to to pick a team based on that.
0: Mm. It's a fascinating scenario. So so first of all, you call him at 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 one point the most fiercely pursued player to come on the international market in the history of baseball, which is saying a lot. And the fact that because he was just 23 and sort of under that limit made, meant that that actually nearly every team in Major League Baseball could potentially afford him, whereas if he had been a little older or if that rule had not changed, then a whole lot of teams would have had no business even thinking about being able to sign uh, uh, Shohei Otani. I mean, it would just have been ludicrous because they just would not have had the money. But in a sense, everybody had enough money on hand to sign him. So it was a matter of convincing him that their team was the right fit. Ultimately, of course, he chooses the Los Angeles Angels. Explain uh, what you think was behind uh, Otani's choice and what it was about the Los Angeles Angels that was so attractive to him?
1: I think, first of all, an American League team was better for him because at the time the American League had the designated hitter and the National League did not. So oh, and, he I, wanted...
0: and you say that in the book, but for our listeners who aren't baseball fans, uh, explain that distinction just for a moment. I think it's really crucial.
1: So uh, the the pitcher pitchers are usually bad hitters so uh <laughs> about uh, back in 1973 the american league passed a rule uh, designated hitter which basically meant you your pitcher did not have to hit anymore you could have another player hit instead of him and that player would do nothing but hit he did not play a position in the field so the american league had that rule and the national league did not the national league was still having its pitchers in the batting order and they would come up they would bat ninth and they would pretty much making out all the time so uh if an Amer- if a national league team wanted otani and they wanted him to hit on the days he was not pitching he would have to play a position in the field he would have to play outfield or first base and that was something he hadn't really done very much in japan and i don't think he was very excited about it so he did listen to some national league teams but i think they had kind of a they had the deck stacked against them, so to speak, just because of the rules. So the Angels were in the American League, so obviously that helped them out. Uh, the West Coast obviously is closer to Japan than the East Coast, so that also helped them out. So there's only three West Coast teams in the American League: the uh, the Angels, the Seattle Mariners, and Oakland A's. The Oakland A's have been uh, kind of a they don't have a very good ballpark. They very low revenue low payroll Uh, although they have been a good team they're just not really a glamorous team uh so you're sort of left with the seattle mariners and angels and i think that billy epler the general manager of the angels just really is a very personable guy uh you know makes a lot of friends with everybody from all walks of life and is very persuasive and uh you know, I think that he just really convinced Otani that the, the Angels were the place for him. That it was going to be the best atmosphere for him. They could develop his talents, and he would like living. You know, in the area, there's there's a large Japanese population in Southern California. So I think all of that just lined up to make the Angels the spot that he
0: picked. Hmm. And you just describe a really wonderful moment uh, when uh, Ray Epler gets the news that Otani had announced that he wanted to go to the Angels, and <laughs> the chair kind of crashes from out, he goes sprawling on the ground. I mean, it couldn't have been a more fitting response to this incredibly uh, wonderful news for him and for the Angels organization. By the way, I realize we've gotten this far into the interview without really stopping to say something about uh, Shohei Otani that you, you mentioned more than once in your book which is the fact that for somebody of such remarkable gifts that he has been throughout his, his baseball life, somebody, in a sense, remarkably untouched by all of this fame and attention. Just tell us a little bit more about the personality and values and attitude of Shohei Otani, which I think makes uh, for one more reason uh, to love and admire this young man.
1: Uh, yeah, that probably goes back to scrubbing the toilets when he was in high school. And uh, the way his, his parents raised him was just to be very humble. And, you know, when he did come up in, in the in the major leagues in Japan, a lot of the players of his stature would go and get places of their own to live, and they would have, you know, exciting social lives, and they would be going out to, the, you know, the tabloids would get pictures of them going out to clubs and restaurants and things like that. But uh, Otani pretty much still lived in the dorm, which is what the, where the younger players in Japan lived, and he just went back to his dorm after games and played video games, read books, slept, and uh, didn't really do much of anything. Didn't spend very much money. I think he had a, an allowance that his mother would send him of his salary to to live on that was pretty uh, meager, and it was just baseball for him. That was all he was focused on.
0: Hmm. We're speaking with Jeff Fletcher about his book Showtime – the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. I hope we've given listeners a sense of just how rich and dense your wonderful book is because we're just going to have a time to scratch the surface of what is kind of the main thrust of the book in which you outline exactly what happened with Shohei Otani once he made it into the American uh, major leagues as as part of the Los Angeles Angels. We have time to touch on a a couple of really interesting things that you bring up. One of the things you say in Chapter 4, which is called Blessed and Cursed, which talks about, of course, his tremendous gifts, but also the curse of some injuries that complicated things. Uh, In the the midst of that conversation, you say this at one point, the theory of having a two-way player was one thing, but putting it into practice was another. There were reasons that it had been a century since any player had attempted to combine the roles in a substantial way. So this really points to the fact that uh, the management of the Angels had to figure out how to do this because nobody since Babe Ruth had done it. And of course, what probably worked back then for Babe Ruth was not necessarily going to work for Shohei Ohtani uh, in the 21st century. Uh, explain how the Angels kind of came to terms with how to do this, how to implement this audacious possibility.
1: Well, they began really with the plan of the way he was used in Japan, which was he did not uh, hit the day before he pitched or the day after he pitched, and he didn't hit and pitch on the same day. So basically, you know, there were four days a week he was a hitter. There was one day a week he was a pitcher, and the other days he was off. So uh, that was sort of their plan initially, and they, they planned to monitor him extensively throughout the, the, uh, the season to see you know how he was doing and his strength levels and fatigue levels and just to make sure he didn't get injured. And they, they really had no other way to do this. They, they couldn't use just the way they handled every other player because no other player had done this. So that was sort of their plan at the outset.
0: And, of course, injuries actually do enter the picture, but we'll talk about that in a moment. You tell us that something else that was a little complication besides uh, injuries was that Otani had difficulty adjusting to the baseballs that they use in the American major leagues. Uh, I'd never heard about this before. How are the baseballs themselves different between America and Japan?
1: They're just manufactured a little differently. So in Japan, the ball uh, has a substance applied to it that makes it a little bit sticky, for lack of a better word. So it's easier to get a grip on it and, you know, control it and spin it the way you want to. In the major leagues, the ball is a little slicker. So uh, some people have compared it to uh, when you take the ball right out of the box. It's like a cue ball, you know, a pool cue. It's very slippery and it's hard to really control so you need to put some kind of uh, foreign substances on it to to get it the way you want it and uh, major league baseball doesn't really like for them to do that because they can also get an unfair advantage of of making the ball do things it's not supposed to do if they go too far so it's kind of a constant battle between the pitchers and the rules about what you're allowed to put on the baseball uh, but it's not something that Otani ever had to deal with in Japan, and he had to, to deal with it right away when he got to the major leagues.
0: Hmm. I wanted to mention that something you, you tell us about the Angels and how serious they were about trying to keep Otani healthy through this uh, through this gauntlet that was uh, uh, facing him was that they actually traveled to Japan. And I thought this was so Interesting, and what a, what, a, what a great idea. Briefly, just explain what took them back to Japan, what kind of information they were looking for. Well, they
1: just wanted to know everything that the, his Japanese team knew about uh, his physical condition and the way they had treated him. And so they went back, and they talked to his manager, they talked to trainers, they talked to the general manager, they went back with uh, you know the Angels general manager, Billy Epler, and... Some other staff members, their trainer, their massage therapist, who's Japanese, uh, another one of the special assistants, they just wanted to to learn everything they could and kind of get baseline measurements of Otani uh, physically.
0: Well, of course, ultimately, although he gets off to a great start, uh, it doesn't take too long before uh, some injuries and more than one, uh, kind of interrupt what everyone had hoped would be kind of a uh, a quick move to to triumph. Uh, explain the kind of injuries and the seriousness of the injuries that uh, afflicted Otani uh, for the over the course of, of of a couple of different seasons.
1: Well, for pitchers, there's a, a ligament in your elbow, the ulnar collateral ligament, that is basically the uh, it's, it's a ligament that doesn't really get stressed in your normal life. But when you're pitching, which is a very unnatural movement, eventually that ligament is going to get stressed and fail for almost all pitchers at some point. So the question was probably not necessarily if or when, but uh, not necessarily if but when. And uh, the Angels realized that Otani, his uh, UCL, was, uh, was slightly damaged before they even got him. They knew this in advance, but were still willing to take the risk because there was such a small financial investment in Otani, and they were going to have him for at least six years once they got him. And even if you know the ligament failed and he had to have surgery, they would still get plenty of years out of him. So what finally happened, though, in uh, June of 2018, in his rookie year, was uh, he was pitching a game and didn't feel right, and uh, he had a an a, a MRI exam and. Sure enough, that ligament had failed, uh, but it wasn't completely torn. So what the question was, was do they have surgery, which is usually what has to happen when the ligament is torn, or did they just try some other ways to, to rehabilitate it without having surgery? And what they eventually decided was, because of sort of the time of the year, if he had the surgery, he was gonna miss the entire 2019 season anyway. And if he tried to rehab it without having the surgery, uh, he had a chance to to come back and, and play in 2019. And if he tried that and failed, he would still just miss the 2019 season. So there was no real risk to, to giving it a try. So they tried to stem cell therapy, plate-rich uh, plasma therapy, which are both sort of new age kind of treatments that sort of help the body heal itself. Uh, they don't work great, but there's really no risk of trying them. They, you know... If they work for some people they don't work for a lot of people but they there's no harm in giving them a shot so that's what the angels tried to do uh, initially when he got hurt in uh, june of
0: 2018. Hmm. well let's leap ahead to the dramatic uh, events of april 4th 2021 uh, and this is how your book essentially opens with your prologue in which you talk about this moment Leading up to this, of course, Otani had, in a sense, lived up to uh, the great hype surrounding him for a couple of months. And then it kind of goes away and then goes completely away as he's laid up with the injuries that you were just uh, recounting to us. So on April 4th, 2021, where was Otani in his Major League Baseball journey and what happened on this remarkable night?
1: Well, there was certainly a lot of skepticism about him coming into the 21 season because, you know, the injuries and some other ineffectiveness he'd had, he just wasn't really very good in 2020. He himself described the season as pathetic and uh, a lot of baseball was that sort of given up on him. Now in spring training of 2021, he showed a lot of signs that he really could do it again and he was back, but that was just spring training. We still weren't really sure, you know, kind of cautiously optimistic but then in that first game that he pitched he in the top of the first inning he threw several fastballs 101 miles an hour which is basically pretty much as hard as any major league pitcher can throw and I think uh, something like four or five percent of pitchers in the major leagues all season would throw even a single pitch that hard so that's elite basically and then in the bottom of the first inning, he hit a home run. The ball left his bat at 115 miles an hour and went about 450 feet. That is also pretty much the hardest that you can hit a ball in the major leagues. The the, the maximum exit velocity, you know, the, the speed that the ball leaves the bat, that anybody ever hits the ball is about 119, 120. So the guys that can hit even one ball at 115 are very few. I think it was about, you know, 5 or 6% in all the major leagues, and certainly there was nobody else but Otani who did both of those things, Hmm. and he did them both within about 15 minutes. (laughs) So that, I think, told us right there that uh, this was a special talent. The special talent was back,
0: and uh, he really had a chance to, to finally succeed. And, of course, your book then chronicles the spectacular season that follows. And, of course, ultimately at the climax of it, You tell us Otani became the first player ever selected to the All Star Game as both a pitcher and a hitter. And your prologue finishes with this wonderful quote from uh, Joe Madden, who also, of course, uh, wrote uh, the foreword to the book. But Joe Madden, in talking about Otani, said he believed that Otani would flourish with fewer restrictions. It's all interconnected, Madden said. Everything we do is interconnected. He is very a very introspective, bright young man who loves to play baseball. Let's stay out of his way, let him play baseball, and see what happens. And then you go on to say, what happened was historic. Your book chronicles it all so remarkably well. The book, again, is titled Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played, published by Diversion Books. And by the way, it has plenty of photographs that capture Uh, Otani and some of his uh, very, very fine teammates of the Los Angeles Angels in action. Jeff Fletcher, thank you so much, and congratulations on a wonderful book.
1: Thank you very much for your time.